It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 150. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. It's almost kind of sort of a round number. Yeah. <laughs> My, milestone episode, sort of. Half a milestone, we'll call it that. You know, I used to, uh, yeah, I am at episode, let's see, I recorded episode 2605 of MacMost this morning. Braggart. And but I just, well, the thing is the numbers... <laughs> Nobody ever sees the numbers anymore except me. It used to be. I used to put them up there. All right, see them. right. But, you know, it is funny because you do spend some time thinking about the numbers. And I used to actually be very conscious of like, if it was like 2,500, it's like, oh, I better do a good one for do this something one. Something special, yes. Uh, and, and sometimes it would just be uh, the thing, okay, this is going to be an easy number to remember. So if I do something like that, I can refer to people you know, people to later oh, right, on, right, it's like, right. oh yeah, that's episode 2,500. Just go look at that one. But then after doing that for years, I realized I never used it. So now my <laughs> episode like 2,500 is like some nondescript thing. Episode right. 2,600 that I just passed episode two, three, four, five, you know, it's just, um, it's whatever, but you, you yep. can't help, but just note it as you. The, um, the articles on ask Leo, um, I use a numbering system, but all it really is is the WordPress internal post ID. Um, so there's really yeah. no rhyme or reason. Um, you know, it jumps like by about six or seven every day just because because of the way WordPress works. Um, if I want to do something special, if I want something memorable, then yeah, I'll just create a shortcut to it or something like that. That, that right. and even that I don't use very often because most of the time I'm just searching my own articles and then while I'm there, I just copy paste the link. Yeah, it, you know, there's it's the frustrating thing about databases is uh, you know every database entry in a real database has a, an ID, which is yes. a number. And when you have your own system, like the numbers for my videos, sometimes mm -hmm. they are so close to matching, but they never match. Right. Because I've got this video database and there's been a few miscellaneous things I've done here and there that haven't been numbered episodes. So while this is offic you know, officially 2,605 that I did this morning, the database entry that I see is, is probably like 2,634 or something like that. Right. Right. So it's, but you know, it keeps you on your toes. Absolutely. You can't take for granted a number and that it matches something. And, and to be fair, I mean, 2,600 video, I mean, that's a, that's a ton. I mean, that's a lot of content you've created over the years. Well done. Yeah. It's uh it's a bit, I'm not sure how I quite, how I did that, but it does give <laughs> me a good excuse whenever somebody uh, suggests something to me, like you do too many jump cuts or you should uh, take more care not to, you know, use uh and uh and all that, right. you know, and and videos and stuff. I could always just jump right back into the, you know, to them and say, look, there's a reason I'm at 2,600 videos right. while other people go for like a year or two and then drop off the face of the earth. Yep. <laughs> because I don't sweat that stuff. I just keep going. And, you know, but if you really want me to pay that much attention to detail, don't be surprised if MacMos one day went away yes. because I got burnt out. <laughs> it's funny. I got a comment from somebody this morning, actually, asking why I blink so much. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, it's, it, it, you feel like saying, well, let me check out your videos, see how often you blink. Not, oh, you don't, you don't do any? Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not on the top of my list of priorities. Hey, I have a dilemma for you. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and you're the guy to help me out, you know, work this through. Okay. So we've got a, um, it's a 65 inch Samsung plasma. So you, it's like about three or four years old, something like that, maybe even older okay. um, in our, that's our main television. The one we watch, you know, the important shows on because it's the biggest screen. It looks cool, all that kind of stuff. So we're watching it the other night and without warning, without anything in particular, actually, it just sort of goes, blink, and it's off. There's no screen. Um, there's, yeah, there's I love how I love how modern TVs die. Yeah, they just, just go no. su suddenly and completely. Bye. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, then of course you immediately think, well, crap. You know, the internet's down, or the Roku stopped working, or something else. You know, there's a, there's a couple of other weak points in the path between here and there. Nope, nope, nope. They were all working just fine. Uh, it is literally the TV that broke. So, uh, which is cool. I mean, I, I, you know, grabbed 
the TV out of our guest room. So if anybody's, you know, staying here, they're going to have to do it without a TV. Grab that, put it in its place. Um, it's about a third the size. So, you know, we're at the same distance away and it's a much, much smaller picture to look at. But, you know, we're you still just got to get closer. Just move, uh, yeah. move the sofa up. <laughs> move the couch closer. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I did some research. So I'm yeah. looking online for this particular model and just sort of seeing if there's anything in particular. And sure enough, there turns out to be a common point of failure. Um, it's As it turns out, um, it's a capacitor on one or two of mm. uh, the circuit boards in the TV. Mm. Now, of course, that means two things. Uh, one, we know what the problem is and we could potentially fix it. And sure enough, uh, I can, in fact, purchase replacement circuit boards for this TV. Mm. And it is uh, within my scope of ability to uh, pull the TV apart and replace those circuit boards. Haven't done it yet because it's a two-person job to get the TV off the wall. It's that still you know, older, heavier type thing. However, I, you know, the first thing that came to mind when the TV died is... Woohoo! Upgrade. Yeah. Um, it's like, and then I went, you know, looking at the current state of televisions of that size or a little bit larger. I actually have a little bit more wall space, so I'm thinking about potentially, you know, if I'm going to replace it, replace it with something a little bit bigger. But here's my dilemma: um, upgrade sounds wonderful. It really does. Um, 4K is supposedly all the rage. Um, there's kind of a domino effect. If I do the 4k thing, I'll talk about that in a second, mm. but, uh, uh, the, the real dilemma is, do I spend like 30 or 60 bucks and put in the manual labor to replace a couple of circuit boards and end up with the same TV I had before, mm. or do I throw that TV into hopefully electronics recycle? and spend probably about 10 times that much. I don't know. I prices, depending on just how overboard I go, range from like five, 600 bucks to a couple thousand, depending on the size and so forth. Yeah. You know, do I spend the extra money and get myself a 4K TV? Now, 4K doesn't come, 4K is fine, right? I, I you mm. know, it, it obviously it'll show everything that I'm looking at right now. But once I've got 4K TV, well, Gee, now that you've got 4K TV, you really would like to have a 4K stream. Well, you know, depending on who you're talking to, that costs you a little extra money yeah. every month. So my question to you, since I suspect you're a little further down the, the AV path than I am, mm. is 4K worth it? Well, yeah. So I I have one uh, one TV. I guess there are several TVs that we watch shows on. But let's rule out the one that's in a little side den. It's like a breakfast nook area. And the one that's in the bedroom, which is just occasionally used. Yep. We have a living room television that's 1080. And it's getting it's getting old. But, you know, it's a nice flat screen up on the wall. Mm -hmm. And then we have our big TV that's in the kind of rec room basement that is 4K. And that one's about three, four years old at this point. Um, so we've got both 1080 and 4K going on. Uh, there was no doubt when I bought that big TV for the basement that it was going to be 4K. Uh, 4, 4K had just come down from being astronomically expensive yes, to, just to expensive. like, <laughs> now it's just expensive. You know, it's re it's it's, it's reasonable, right? So I bought uh, one for that. And for me, it was, well, the size of the TV, I don't remember the exact sizes. I'm going to guess it's a 55-inch TV on our wall in the living room. Okay. And in the basement, it's a somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 inches. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like 55 at 55 inches, you know, 1080 is fine. And 4k may not be that much of a difference from sitting, you know, across the room from it, but the big TV, I thought it is going to be different uh, watching 4k. And of course I could see that difference, um, uh, you know, I, I think pretty clearly because, well, we still have, we're still holding on to direct TV and I really want to get rid of direct TV for a number of reasons, but right now we're still doing direct TV and direct TV is by and large 1080 I interlace. Right. Yep. right? And it, one of the reasons is, is a lot of the networks basically broadcast at that anyway. 
Um, so, you know, it's like I'm watching 1080 when I watch DirecTV. Now, most of the time when I'm watching TV there, I'm watching on my Apple TV box, which is the 4K model. Matter of fact, we have the 1080 model, the older one with the 1080 TV, and we have the 4K model with the 4K TV. So I definitely watch some 4K, a lot of 4K stuff, Netflix, a lot of 4K stuff now, um, and you know HBO and a few other uh, apps. And of course, the stuff I get from Apple TV Plus and just you know movies rented and stuff, they're all 4K. And yeah, I can tell the difference. And to me, I feel it's kind of a waste you know, get this big TV, set up this nice comfortable area, and then why watch in 1080 when you can watch in 4K? Um, so, so there's that idea. Go, go with that. Um, you know, it was interesting you said about repairing the TV. Um, there's some good reasons to repair the TV because you know you mentioned recycling. Uh, recycling's okay. Way right. better is not actually needing to recycle it at all. Right. 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 You know, the more years you get out of that TV, the better it is environmentally. And I really feel that here in, in Denver, Colorado, where uh, electronics recycling is mandated as it should be. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, there is no public uh, recycling for televisions. You have to pay somebody to do it. Uh-huh. So, yeah, you, you know, when then you do something like I just bought that new 32 inch uh, screen for my Mac mm-hmm. and that orphan two older screens that are now sitting in another room that I'm like, oh, you know, they have to be, I have to find somebody who could use them is ideally what I want. Um, but every time I buy a new piece of electronics, it's like, I have to get rid of this other one and, and do it properly. And if it still works, hopefully find somebody that wants it rather than have it actually go someplace and energy be spent taking it apart and, and recycling it. Um, so spending the money is uh, to actually fix this TV is really appealing. That's only only one reason is the fact that you then don't have to recycle something and you don't have to ask a company to manufacture an entire television for you. Granted, it's that's already not, there. Yeah. That's not it's already there. I mean, you know, they they do it in round numbers, right? It's Will they in like, fact make one more TV because I purchased one TV? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is, you know, it's it's a weird thing to think about, but you know, I mean, I'm sure if you look at a certain brand of TVs, you know, they'll oh we they purchased 100,000 of them from the factory, right? And it was a nice round number like that. It's not going to be 100,001 because you ordered one. Um, but it's still, there's still something to that, right? You're still consuming something. Um, another reason to try to fix it is because you and me kind of like to fix things, right? I mean, it's interesting. We certainly would get a feeling of satisfaction if you if you went through and fixed it and it worked. Sure. You know, I'd be like, hey, look what I did. <laughs> yeah, but we also get we also get a sense of satisfaction about having the latest and greatest and biggest and That's best, right? <laughs> true. It's true. That's true. So there's a lot of pros and cons. Um, definitely, I think if you're if you are going to go the route of replacing it, uh, why not go 4K? Um oh yeah, well it's hard, it's actually hard not to. Um, if you take a oh, look true. at TVs that are that are certainly of that size, say you know, 55 or 65 or bigger, um, they're all 4K. You can't not get 4K. Probably for that reason that, you know, when you stretch the 1080 vertical pixels there and big enough, you know, up to the 65 inch size, you know, you can, you can see the pixels if you get close. I mean, you can see the pixels on a 4K TV if you're close enough too, but you know, there's, there's a good reason to say, um, you know, do it 4K. Uh, I find it a little ridiculous when you see some of the small TVs that are 4K. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> you know it's like to me it's uh, I don't know I don't know why they're doing that but you know it would make more sense if anything below say thirty five or anything forty inches or below was only ten eighty, right? Anything above that was four K, and it kind of made sense. Now, also you're you know you're future proofing yourself in it. We're starting to hear eight K, right? Mm-hmm. Starting. I mean, there's some eight K TVs. Um, there's a rumor actually this week. That the next iPhone, the iPhone 14, that one of its three cameras in the Pro models will be a 48 megapixel sensor. <laughs> Why 48? Because currently it's a 12 megapixel sensor that could do 4K. So a 48 megapixel sensor means theoretically 8K, 8K yeah. recording. Okay, so <laughs> the uh, it's the way the squares work. So the um. You know, and it makes sense. I mean, it is kind of awesome to think about a 48 megapixel camera and a phone 
in addition to all the other optics and thing, things Apple throws into it. But you know, if we're looking at being less than 12 months away from an iPhone being able to capture 8K, um, having a, a TV that's anything less than 4K starts to feel, you know, like what are you doing? Why waste the why waste the money and and the consumption of that device, you know, uh, when you can have something that maybe lasts longer, right. um, you know. So it's funny. That's one of the other things you you pointed out. I, I think is also kind of ironic, um, is that the different because it's digital, of course, the different channels you watch, depending on you know whatever your provider might be, be it Direct TV or. Um, through one of the other devices, something like YouTube TV or Hulu or whatever, each channel, each video, each stream can be a different resolution. And yeah. one of the things that I've absolutely noticed is that on some of the, I'm not even sure what to call them. They're like the third tier channels uh, mm. that run like reruns of NCIS 24 hours a day or something like <laughs> yeah. that. Um, they're, Pretty close. I, I, they're probably transmitting in 720, right? Yeah. Because oh, yeah. they they don't they, you know they don't get a lot of bandwidth. Um, you know they're not getting a lot of space on the wire and and on the hard disks and on the whatevers that that are uh, involved in transmitting this. But it's content that people are interested in watching. I will say it's been kind of interesting. Every once in a while, I stumble into a, especially with local stuff here in Seattle. I'm a member of a couple of uh, vintage groups that look at, you know, things that happened in Seattle, say, 40, 50 years ago. Mm. Uh, those of us who've been here that long remember that kind of thing. And when you take a look at some of the standard definition television recordings on YouTube, knowing that as good or as bad as they are on YouTube, when they were on your television originally, they were worse. Yeah. My goodness, was <laughs> As <laughs> have things changed, um, seven twenty all by itself is such an incredible improvement over what we were used to twenty thirty years ago. Uh, but yeah, we'll probably end up saying the same thing about four K and eight K uh, someday in the future. Yeah. So you, you, I guess ultimately you haven't really helped. Um, oh, you did answer sorry. my question. Is is four K? Well, yeah, is four K worth it? The real question is, will I notice it on a big screen? And your answer there is a pretty clear yes. If I've got a four K stream coming in, yeah, if you, um, yeah, and and that's gonna, you know, okay, some stuff is going is it going to be four K now? But eventually, right, things are going to move forward. I remember we got uh, when we got our TV, it was almost exactly that time that Netflix started broadcasting some things in four K. Right, I mean, it was like maybe to the week. It was just coincidental. And then I went in search of that 4K icon to see mm. what else I could see that was 4K. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I, I don't even notice it there because most of the stuff says 4K. Right. So it just became commonplace to so, see this 4K streaming stuff. Since you're further down that path, Netflix doesn't charge extra for 4K, do they? Uh, maybe. Okay. <laughs> I'll check it I out. Don't, I, I know don't YouTube remember. TV does because that's what we're using for our local channels. And uh, they will occasionally try and upsell me, even though I don't have the, the technology for it yet. When I got, when I did this upgrade, uh, it, and we actually had, we, so we had to get another box, another DirecTV box. Mm -hmm. We put this TV in and, and the DirecTV install guy. I remember it's always the, those guys on the ground. They know everything. They, yes, absolutely. The people I've had those same you discussions. on the phone know nothing. <laughs> you're right, you're right. So that guy came in and he's like, well, okay, here's the deal. First of all, you have wireless boxes, which, you know, I have this old house. So like wireless boxes, the way to go. Right. Um, so he, he says, you got wireless boxes, uh, at, at least at the time. He said, the current technologies, if you want 4K box here, I'm going to have to, there's going to be a wire. that's going to have to run from the main box to, here mm -hmm. and then um i was like ah okay he goes and honestly uh what you can watch now is our demo channel <laughs> it's like the 4k demo channel that's pretty much it every once in a while there's something else and there are a few things maybe coming up uh but it's pretty much just the demo channel and and then he said that all the big stations probably the stuff you want to watch in 4k that's all going to be 1080i for years and years and years to come um, which I read to be that, hey, our satellites, as long as those satellites are still in orbit, it's not going to be 4K. I mean, you know, their DirecTV and DISH are both slowly switching over to uh, being internet services. Notice that. 
Yeah, and and my feeling is, I, it, we talked about this. I don't know if it was last week or the week before that. Is that uh, you know both those companies have have regressed to the uh, below the economic ability for them to launch satellites. Oh yeah, they've they've. I'm sure they, that they, they new satellites have been off the table for a long time. Yeah, and in fact, I suspect that the disaster scenario for them that they they are panicking about, yeah, is if something happens to one of their satellites. Sure, they've got. I don't know what Dish has, but Directv's got three, and all the channels are spread out between the three of them. And I knew mm -hmm. this because when our tree grew a little bit too big, yes, we had certain stations that didn't work, and that's when the guy came out to move our dish. Mm -hmm. And he told me about the fact that, yeah, it's divided up among the satellites, the, you know, satellite number three or the, the westernmost satellite <laughs> um, is the one that the channels that you're talking about having trouble with. That's what it's on. And that's what your tree is blocking. Um, so the disaster situation is, you know, one of those satellites goes down, which is probably a matter of something in the satellite goes wrong. It doesn't crash or anything. It's way up there right. in your sacred yep. orbit, yep. it, but it just apart breaks. They've been up there for a while. Yep. They're they're getting old, yeah. And then suddenly they're down to two, right? And then they'd have to scramble to figure out what the heck they do. How can they keep the service going with just two satellites? Um, and then probably past that, it's okay, it's over, right? Everybody abandoned ship to what they hope is DirecTV now or whatever they call it. Uh, they've changed the name a few times. Yeah, just, yeah but I did know. notice that they're selling an internet-based service. So yeah. it's basically, clearly that's just a migration path for their existing customers. Yeah, I, I don't think it'd be more than a few years before right. uh, probably DirecTV and, and Dish at the same time move over to, uh, to internet. Even if you think about our internet satellites, like the the uh, SpaceX Starlink satellites, mm -hmm. I mean, why go to the trouble of sending up these TV streams up to these geosynchronous satellites to have them beam down only these TV streams Right. when you could just link into something like the Starlink satellites and mm -hmm. it's just internet bandwidth right you know and then better yet you don't even need the satellites because you've got ground-based internet bandwidth yep so yeah satellite tv is about to come to an end um but anyway back to your tv thing i think definitely getting 4k if you're going to replace the tv that's the way to go um it's, it's definitely what i would do and you're you're happy with your um exceptionally large 80 inch yeah I mean, we're a little, it's not for everybody. You know, we actually, in our previous house, we had a projection screen. So right. we actually had a much bigger, it was like 115 inch screen, you know, just a piece of material on right. the outside of the room um, and, a, and a projector in the middle of the room hanging from the ceiling. Mm -hmm. So it was an even bigger screen, but it was a bigger room with the seats further back. Um, I like this a lot better now. I wouldn't do projection again. I'd like having the active, you know, television shining light in my face. <laughs> right. Well, there's uh, that. And, um, uh, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, your room is probably, you can probably have your yeah. room be less dark. Yes, if I definitely. remember correctly for the projection TVs, you really need to turn it, turn down the lights in the room in order for the, for the screen to really be visible. Yeah, if you were watching like a just a regular like just TV show where you didn't care that much about the picture quality or like the news or something like that, then it was fine to watch it with the lights on. But if you were going to watch a movie or a mm -hmm. show you really liked, mm -hmm. you know, like the the things we watch today on Netflix as opposed to you know sitcoms in the '90s, you know that right. kind of thing, uh, you would want to have the lights off or dimmed at least. Um, and now you know it's not really a big issue uh, with these TVs, although you still don't really want to have the lights blaring. Right, you. but you it's different. It it's a, a different little, level. A little compared. more of a yeah. theater experience. Yep. Um, and also, now you mentioned, you know, the resolution of the TV and how it changes. Like, uh, you know, you, you switch from one channel to another and you're going from 720 to 1080. And then maybe you switch to a box and you're streaming Netflix at 4K. And the TV is just going along with it. And it's like, oh, whatever you're, you're giving me, I'm going to try my best. Right. Um, audio is the same way. And I'm a little more aware of that because I have an older audio box i i bought with that old projection system i bought an audio receiver mm -hmm. that's this big thing and it you know goes out to five different speakers and mm -hmm. it connects to whatever i've got um i needed that for the projector because the projector had no audio whatsoever you had to have that else mm -hmm. you wouldn't be able to hear anything uh, i don't necessarily need that with our current tv but i use it anyway but one of the interesting things about it is there's a display on the front of this that tells you the type of audio, just oh, like yes. you've got 1080, 720 and all that. You've got things like Dolby and 
uh, THC and uh, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> THC. <laughs> whatever. The, yeah. That's great audio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Feels like there's a hundred speakers, but the, uh, you know, you've got all this, um, all these different things. And uh, I see it as I switch between channels, yes. the receiver will actually like blink, you know, on the screen and showing me, whoa, this is using this type of audio, or this is using that type of audio. And it's interesting to see most people, I guess, don't even think about that. They just think it's just audio. It's just whatever. What? Switch the channel and whatever it is. The uh, So I've got sounds similar setup. I've got you know a receiver and five mm-hmm. speakers and all that kind of stuff. Um, our receiver uh, is old enough that I guess it's not really showing me all the different kinds of audio, uh, but it is at least turning on a light. A little blue bar of all things yeah. when uh it's getting uh 5.1 surround yeah 5.1 yeah which i'm surprised at how uncommon that remains even on some of the premium channels mm. uh, which is like i said kind of surprising and i'm not sure why the why the decision was made to not necessarily push it out what i'm not sure about is the the, the problem that i have with audio is of all things HDMI. Um, HDMI, once it goes to the TV, mm-hmm. uh, in our case at least, uh, it gets it strips the audio out. I think it's a mm-hmm. copy protection kind of a thing. So I actually had to get an HDMI splitter of some sort that then sends the HDMI to my receiver and to my TV, uh, so that they both get the full. One gets the video, the one gets the full audio. Um, yeah, HDCP, I think it's called, is the the copy protection scheme that's used on HDMI that uh, basically defines how that kind of stuff is both encrypted and how far it's allowed to be transmitted. Uh, so, for example, I, I would how are, how is your audio connected to your receiver right now? Right now, it's using um, the uh, what do you call it? Ugh, the uh, fiber SP something or other. Yeah, the one that's the uh, the light. It uses light. Okay. Okay. Called. So okay. you've probably got, but you don't have an option. Then I suspect. Well, no, maybe you do. I don't know. In my case, um, I have uh, HDMI into the receiver. Yep. And uh, it puts out. Oh, that's the problem. Okay. So the HDMI into the receiver, I can turn the receiver on to decode full 5.1 surround. Mm -hmm. But if I do that, then the auxiliary outputs of the receiver are turned off. Uh, I can play it to the speakers, but I cannot send it on to another device. Whereas if I tell the receiver, yeah, ignore all that, just give me left and right stereo, Mm. then those auxiliary outputs are enabled. And I believe that's part of the HDCP protocol slash definition slash whatever. So yeah, it gets, it gets complex. I know it does. It does. Re- yeah. I've been tempted to play with the, with the fiber uh, just for that reason. Cause I think I have more options if I yeah, do it's, that. Well, it's called a digital optical is what I was thinking of. Right. The um, my old system with the projector, I actually got the receiver that had, in addition to doing audio, it handles the HDMI. So it's HDMI into this receiver. Mm-hmm. Then it pulls the audio out, right? It's sending it out to the speakers. Right. And then it you could have multiple HDMIs in and then one HDMI out that's only taking the video. And that goes to the projector. And then you've got your, uh, you know, that's how right. you can have a projector right. showing like, you know, multiple, uh, you know, the DirecTV or the Apple TV box or whatever. But um, it's I not passing on the audio. It's not. Well, I don't think it is. It did. It yeah. wasn't. It didn't matter because the right. projector didn't have any. Couldn't do anything with the audio anyway. So I never even thought about it. Now the new TV wants to do the HDMI all on its own. So the new TV actually, uh, it's a Samsung, and it has this weird thing where there's this strange proprietary connector on the back of the TV. Only one thing plugs into it. The special box. The box has all of these connections on it. So that allows you to hide all of the connections like down below, oh, you know, okay. in the stand or whatever. So, okay. so I've got four different HDMI inputs, you know, like DirecTV, my Xbox, Apple TV, and a Blu-ray player going into that box. And then it it 
then sends it all to the TV. The TV has a uh, optical, digital optical audio out that goes into the receiver. So the receiver that was before the commander of everything right. and has a remote control that basically really is all about that. It's got a thousand buttons on it. Um, now just sits there and says, oh, okay, uh, volume up, volume down. That's, that's all it does. You know, so um, the TV handles all the switching and the bot and the receiver and all of its might just sits there and just handles the audio that's given it. Yep. Yep. That so, sounds, sounds like a familiar of progression of technology. Yes. Yeah, We've got these state I, of affairs. It's, it reminds me of my router, my router um, that I got from Comcast. Uh, you know, it's a powerful router. It's a small business class router. So it's got yeah. lots of features in it. Um, it's doing nothing. <laughs> it's a pass-through <laughs> device. We turned all that fancy stuff off because I'm using, you know, the ubiquity uh, uh, equipment, yep. the mesh network here. So I've got a different router doing that. Anyway, well, that's good. Okay. Well, I have more things to chew on. I, I still need to, uh, uh, our step one is already decided. We're at least at some point going to take the TV off the wall, take the back off and take a look at those circuit boards uh, and make sure that they're the ones that I could order. And then we'll uh, we'll see what happens next. Hey, even if you decide to get a new 4K TV, if you spend 30 bucks fixing it, you get mm -hmm. the satisfaction of fixing it mm -hmm. and you can, it could continue to live. Maybe not even as yours. I mean, consider that somebody might not be that happy about buying it from you, you know, a repaired TV. Right. Um, or though maybe for cheap enough, they might. Right. Um, but if you find somebody in need, you could say, here's a free TV. works great. And it might last you for years to come. Yep. And that yep. way, That's instead of it being recycled, somebody doesn't buy a TV because you've given them one. Yep. No, that's, that's, that's all very cool. Uh, the problem is that a broken TV is my, justification for buying a new one. Yeah. So if the TV is no longer uh, broken, I no longer have that justification, but we'll see where this goes. We'll see where this yep. goes. Yep, yep, yep. So one of the other things that we um, are seeing kind of, at least in my world has kind of slipped into devices of the past. I no longer have a universal remote control. Um, <laughs> it's funny, the Roku remote does what I need. And I don't have like five different devices anymore. Yeah. It's all the streaming box and the TV and, and maybe a receiver. Um, that the, the reason I mentioned that, of course, is because <laughs> apparently there's a Mac feature that has nothing to do with that. Right. <laughs> that is, that is getting delayed. Yeah. It's called universal control and it. Yeah, it really is. I, I mean, I guess there's a similarity. The idea behind universal control is you're supposed to be able to use one keyboard and one mouse or trackpad with multiple devices. Sounds cool. So yeah, kind of universal control. It, it was supposed to be a new feature of Mac OS Monterey, which came out uh, a couple months ago. Uh, then they said, no, it's not gonna make the cut for the, for the initial release. We'll have it out later this fall. And they just came out with uh, the 0.1 version of that, which of course fall is almost over. And it's not part of that. So they actually quietly changed the coming later this fall to coming spring 2022. <laughs> so it's been pushed back. Hmm. And there was a collective uh, yell of uh, discontent uh, throughout the Mac blogging world. Imagine that. That this, this feature, this critical feature that's going to be amazing and change how people use computers uh, has been delayed yet again. Um, but... My take on it is it's not that useful of a feature at all. Really? Um, so here's, I mean, here's what it does. So imagine you've got an iMac on your desk, but you also have a MacBook Pro or Air or something like that. Did you also use? You could sit your MacBook Pro or Air next to your iMac, have it on, have both of them on. And then you're using your keyboard and mouse for your iMac and you could just take the mouse and move the pointer across the screen over to where the uh, the MacBook Air is, and the cursor just keeps moving, and it's now controlling the MacBook Air. Okay. And the, then the same thing with the keyboard. Now you can click in a document there on the MacBook Air and start typing on the iMac keyboard. It's one keyboard, one pointing uh, controller, um, and you've got two Macs. Kind of neat. And you could do the same thing with an iPad. So you have your iMac and you put an iPad next to it. You move the pointer over to where the iMac is, the right or left side. And now suddenly the pointer is actually on the, the uh, iPad screen. 
and you can control things. Even though you don't typically use a pointer with an iPad, you can still use it there. And maybe if you're doing something that needs typing on the iPad, you can now use your keyboard that's for your Mac for this. That's really neat, but I don't really think it's all that useful. <laughs> I think it's one of these features that a lot of people want, but once they get it, they're not going to use it as much. Um, first of all, you have to have an, a Mac and then some other device like an iPad or a, a MacBook of some sort, something else to be the second device. Um, and that rules out a lot of people right off the bat. It's really easy to, you know, if that's your world, if you're like me and you have a Mac on your desk and a, and a MacBook and an iPad to think, oh, that's what everybody's got. But there are a lot of people out there that are just sitting at a desk that has just a computer on it. That's all they're they're dealing with. Right. And this wouldn't be a feature they could use at all. The other thing is, is that you still have to set it up. I mean, it's not going to work if your iPad or your MacBook is sitting in its bag or whatever. Uh, you have to go and say, oh, let me set up my iPad or MacBook next to my screen so I can use this feature. And I don't know if it's useful enough to actually be setting it up all the time to do that. So it only works if you actually take the time to set your machines up that way. I think a lot of people think what this means is, oh, I could have like two screens. I have my iMac's got one screen, but now my iMac or my MacBook can actually be a second screen for that. That's not what it is. I was going to say, uh, I was waiting for you to say something about dragging your document from one screen to the other. Well, yeah. So that is a, that's an interesting, I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's not a second screen. You can already do a second screen right now with AirPlay. You could AirPlay to that other device and mm -hmm. have a second screen. Or with an iPad, you could do Sidecar and use your iPad as another screen. That's already available and already not being used by lots of people. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, if you want that, you've got it right now. Go ahead, use it. Oh, you're not using it? Well, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I'm one of these people, right? I've got my iPad, my trusty iPad sitting right next to my screen all the time. And it's just asleep. I could actually have it be a sidecar other screen. Right. I don't do it. I just don't. It's just not going to give me enough utility for me to take the time to actually turn it on and do, you know, so oh, sidecar and let's do it. I think universal control is a feature like that. Um, the only real thing it does that is, I think something that people might want is the drag and drop thing. But I started to think of when would you use this? I mean, okay, let's say on your, I, on your other, let's say, forget the iPad thing. Let's say it's another Mac. On one Mac, you're editing an image. On another Mac, you've got your email app open. You finish editing the image. Oh, I can drag and drop it from there into the email message. Mm -hmm. That's kind of neat, mm -hmm. except, well, it's not like you can't do that now. If you're using iCloud Drive, for instance, when you save that image, you should be able to see it on both machines. Right. So you could drag and drop from there. Um, You've got continuity features, which means, and this has been around for years, if I'm in the middle of composing an email message on my MacBook, I could close my MacBook, go to the mail app on my iMac, and I can continue that email message. So there's not like a huge like, oh, I couldn't have done that before. It would have been impossible. Making an image on one machine, sending an email on the other, there would have been no way to do it. I would have had to abandon it and, you know, print a copy of the image and mail it to them. <laughs> I mean, it was very, po it's very possible right now. It may be a different, uh, you know, different steps involved. Right. This might be a different way to do it, but it's not like I can do things now, you know, or I will be able to do things now with universal control that I couldn't have done before. It's just, it's a convenience. It's convenient to use this one mouse and trackpad or key or uh, one trackpad and keyboard or mouse and keyboard rather than maybe having another one, you know, with the MacBook or having to do something different because, you know, you want to do something on your iPad. It's a nice that convenience. feels appealing to me um, is the ability to use your mouse and keyboard for your iPad. Yeah, but you could do that already, you know, not the, not as easily. But you could certainly, and a lot of people do get their iPads with, you know, Apple sells the whole deal where you have a trackpad and a keyboard that comes with the iPad, right? It's, right. Um, and so you already have that. So it's not like now there's no way to use a keyboard with an iPad. In fact, you can buy a $9 Bluetooth keyboard and use it with your iPad. Okay. Um, so it's possible now. It might be slightly more convenient, but then I also started to think, oh, so 
if I have my, I have to have my iMac or my Mac Pro, whatever it is in front of me anyway, for this to even be a possibility to do universal control. So why exactly do I need to go to my iPad to type? If I want to send an email, I would just do it from the device that's most convenient for that. The iMac and it is, has the keyboard. I can easily hit new message and type there. Where, what does it really get me to say, oh, but I can now do that <laughs> over here, just a little bit to the right or to the left on a different, smaller screen. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's, I think to me, it's like sidecar or the ability to airplay to another device. It's something that's nice to have and all that, but I don't think it warrants all of the anticipation that people have for it. Maybe this is a case of um, Apple promised all these features. They delivered a, on most of them. And then the one they said, oh, you can't have this one yet. Everybody wants that one. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's like you get your, you get your Christmas presents and the one that's like, oh, this wasn't in stock yet. You've got a picture of it. Hopefully by mid-January, you'll get this new video game or whatever it is. That's the one that you really want, right? Um, I think that's what it is. I think it's like a, a blown out of proportion kind of it's funny because uh, feature. I, I tend to agree with you on the usability of the feature in the sense that um, on the PC side, there have been various solutions for this kind of problem for a long time. Um, there have been third-party apps that allow you to uh, essentially treat uh, a laptop near mm -hmm. you know, another computer next to your computer as if it were an extended screen, uh, you know, those kinds of things, which essentially means roughly the same thing as both, you know, all the features you've just mentioned. Um, I know in my case, when I do something like this, I just use remote desktop if I want to control some other um, yeah. some other machine. Uh, it's just not, like you say, it's just not that big a deal. And what's interesting about it is not that the features aren't there. Sometimes they're a little rough. I get that. But it's how infrequently we actually use them. Even though they're they're pretty cool features when you think about it, yeah. um, we don't use them to the extent that um, that all the hype might suggest. I right, agree. and and I do think that a small percentage of people will get a lot of use out of them. Yes, like I do see. Okay, there's the person that has their MacBook Air with them, goes into work, and it's and every morning sets their MacBook Air right up next to their nice big iMac screen and starts using this, right. right? And they've got their, their some certain types of software that's on the MacBook Air. They do it on the MacBook Air, certain things on their, on their iMac. And th this is like universal control is a feature for them. I think it's a very small number of people. I think those people are going to love it, right? And they're going to be very vocal and saying, I don't know how I lived without this before. I suspect but that a high percentage of those users live or work in Cupertino. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, there's a there's a lot of features like this. There's, uh, we'll we'll have to see how well the feature does. You know, that there's always the problem that every feature like this needs to be supported uh, moving forward all the time, right? Um, or it gets dropped. So when you you know every time Apple drops a feature, and I'm uh, probably the same thing with Microsoft. Um, there's always that outcry from those few people that used it all the time right. as part of their workflow. Um, and, and, and that to me is like, there seems to be, Apple seems to be producing a lot of these features recently, uh, like sidecar and the, the uh, touch bar. There's one right there. Yes. I mean, touch bar's dead now. I mean, anybody doesn't think it's dead, uh, you know, that's, it's not true. I mean, if Apple's not including it in the MacBook Pros, it's dead. <laughs> it's pretty uh, dead. Yep. So it, it's it's dead. You know, you can still buy the one MacBook Pro from 2020 that has it, but that'll be replaced at some point next year, and then there won't be any touch bar. But you know, if you were all in on like, hey, this is part of my workflow. I you know I use this feature all the time. The apps I have have a special little thing, or I bought, got some software, customized the touch bar, and now I live like with the touch bar being uh, important to me. I mean, it's going to go away and, um, you know, there's no doubt about it <laughs> and uh, universal control. Will that be something that lives on forever and becomes a standard part of all operating systems all the time, or does it live for four or five years? And then the few people that loved it have to now learn to live without it. Yep.
or go back to some many of the alternatives that you've already mentioned. Yep. Indeed. So, Times Man of the Year. Oh yeah, I thought this was worth mentioning because um, we we've talked about just any podcast uh, that has to attack. It talks about Elon Musk eventually, um, yeah, eventually, or all yeah. the time, or whatever. <laughs> and he's been named Times Man of the Year. Um, and you know, it's interesting. My my wife hates Elon Musk. She doesn't mm-hmm. like him at all. Mm-hmm. And I love him. And I understand her her grudges against him. And he's a very imperfect person. <laughs> um, but I I also I I admire what he's accomplished. I and I like his his drive for things that you know, like actually getting to Mars. You know, it's been his sure. drive for a long time. Sure. Or and actually having you know, previous to that, it was let's have an, a new American car company, um, and let's have it produce only American, uh, only electric vehicles. Um, and I like the fact that while he rarely gets things done on time, I mean, who does? Um, he actually usually gets things done, right? Like you know, right. saying there's going to be a new car company, it's going to be an American car company. And it's going to produce only electric vehicles. It took a lot longer, but you can't deny that he actually did it, right? Um, I, I think by some measurements, it's the largest car company in America. You know, the, the manuf- largest maker of cars in America now might be might be the world, but they're competing. Okay. I yeah. suspect with Toyota or whatever. It's it's, but I mean, there's no doubt it it happened, right? He delivered. Yes. Uh, yes. And and the. the it's hard to, from today's perspective, when you hear a rich person saying he's going to make rockets or go into space, you think, sure, you know, you have enough money, you can do that. When he did it, it was laughed at mm-hmm. <laughs> because it just wasn't done. No, yeah. no, you don't do that. Governments do that. And right. only the top three or four governments can do that. And, and reuse the rockets? No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And now... <laughs> I mean, SpaceX launches are so routine. We don't even hear about most of them. Yeah, they're not launch, newsworthy like, anymore. Satellites. Yep. Yeah. Even the Starlink program, you know, the first few of those, it's like, oh, there's another Starlink launch. Now there's Starlink launches that we don't even hear about because it's just routine. Um, and he definitely, you know, manned space flight, uh, delivering uh, astronauts to the space station, the whole works. Um, plus the other things he's gotten involved in, like, for instance, the Starlink itself. Is going to be interesting um, and lots more. So a- anyway, it's great to, to see a, a techie get man of the year. It's um, funny. I'm, I definitely experience what's going on between yourself and your wife. Um, I don't think my wife has an opinion on him, but uh, I definitely run across people who are vehemently, and I mean, rabidly anti-Elon. Yeah. Um, and there are, of course, people who are Elon fanboys. I'm neither. I mean, I appreciate what he's done. Uh, one of the, uh, uh, I, full disclosure, I drive a Tesla. Um, yeah. And I absolutely understand the um, the concept of um, Elon scheduling promises, not really <laughs> being something you would ever count on. Uh, but uh, I also definitely appreciate the changes that he has wrought in the industry. And by that, I mean, he's not just created an American electric car company. He has literally changed the industry and shown that electric cars are, in fact, feasible, possible. And all of the other um, uh, car makers now are starting to pay attention, follow suit, come out with their own models and so forth, which I think is fantastic. Uh, the, The statement that I made not long after buying uh, my Tesla, or even before that, was that, you know what? Even if Tesla fails completely at this point, the company goes out of business, um, they've served an incredibly valuable purpose by showing what's possible and by actually kickstarting an industry that now um, perhaps you know the more entrenched um, old guard can come in and pick up, but that's not that doesn't need to happen yet, right? It's it continues to uh, to go forward. Now, on a personal level, I understand that he's a bit of a jerk. Yeah, and that seems to come with that territory. To be honest, mm-hmm. uh, the the territory of being this uh, God charismatic is the wrong word for someone like him. But uh, you know, to be someone in that influential leadership position, making stuff happen, sometimes those people are more often than not kind of jerky. 
Uh, but uh, that aside, um, I appreciate what he's done. Yeah. What I also thought was interesting about the Times Man of the Year is that they actually also announced several other of the year categories, which I this might be the first year they've done that. And there were a couple that caught my eye. Uh, one I'm actually going to be featuring in Not All News is Bad, I think tomorrow or the next day, uh, where that's tomorrow's Heroes of the Year. Did you see that one? No. The vaccine researchers, uh, yes. the folks who have created the vaccine over the course of the last two years are being called out specifically as uh, Times Heroes of the Year. And then the other one that also caught my attention was the Athlete of the Year, which is Simone Biles uh, for her mm-hmm. mental health um, admonition or ad- admission, if you want to call it, I'm not even sure. Mm-hmm. Basically, her taking a stand for her own mental health during the Summer Olympics this year. Uh, I was expect. I honestly was expecting her on a box of Wheaties before this, but I'm glad she's getting this kind of recognition as well. Um, they, the athletes, not only have they been through a lot, but she specifically um, has been through quite an ordeal, and mm-hmm. having her be recognized as an example of, uh, you know, a, a an athlete that is taking her own mental health seriously is I think a wonderful thing and sets a great example for the athletes to follow. Right, there were a couple changed, of other uh, of the year uh, categories as well that I, I don't remember. These are the two that caught my eye in addition to, uh, to old Elon. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think uh, Simone Biles is she's changed that industry. If you look at it as an industry. Yes. Um, uh, now and uh, you know, for, for the better, um, so yeah, definitely, uh, deserved, I guess in the past they've done lots of like, not, I don't know if they call runners up, but they've, they've done, here's the, you know, person of the year. And then they've said also, here are some other people that right. we considered. Right. And so maybe now having the idea of like, oh, instead of just saying, here's other people we considered going and saying, oh, you know, uh, he- heroes of the year and, you know, athletes some of other the categories. All that. Yep. Yeah, yep. that that might be a nice. Uh, and a nice to be clear, to one of the things that Times always um, states, you know, love Elon or hate him. Yeah. Uh, the, the person of the year is not an endorsement. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not saying we love Elon. Oh, yeah. We you hate him. You it's only need more... to look at the list of people that have received it to see. That. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's worth it's worth reminding everybody of this every year that, uh, you know, it's, it's someone who has had a dramatic impact on the world and, you know, for better or worse in some cases. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, the title fits. Um, yep. so anyway, cool. so yep. on to other cool things. So we started watching the expanse season six last night. Okay. Uh, and I was reminded of, uh, how much I love the, um, the vibe. I'll just call it the vibe of the series. Uh, it season six was not guaranteed to happen, but it it clearly it has. It's now releasing, I think, every Friday, if I'm not mistaken, um, over the course of the next eight or ten weeks. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. I just love the the sense of the series, the the science in the series, the the feel of what's going on in the series. Um, it is a complex storyline that has evolved over its six seasons for sure. But um, anyway, we're enjoying it. I think it's cool. Uh, and I've started watching a show that's a couple of years old uh, called The Terror. It was originally on AMC and I'm watching it on Hulu. Um, and it is a fictionalized account of what happened to two ships that went uh, to try to find the Northwest Passage. As a matter of fact, I think years ago on this very show, I, as Ainted Cool, talked about a book I read by yes. Michael Palin about uh, the Erebus and Terror. And that was more than just this journey. It was about those two ships um, doing other things as well, going to Antarctica for one thing. Uh, but this, uh, you know, the the thing that makes those ships the most famous, is the fact that they both went to explore the Northwest Passage and then disappeared. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it's only been recently that we've actually found those ships and, and, and in the last few decades that we found evidence that uh, they maybe tr- the sailors tried to maybe make it across land to survive, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So this basically takes the very little bit of information we have um, and creates a definitely fictional story. It's mm-hmm. it's not trying to be historically accurate. The terror is not referring to the ship, but something else that is going on. Um, ah, okay. Excellent, 
excellent though in every respect as far as characters you know character development the 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 pace of the plot uh just uh you know amazing amazing stuff uh going on in this, this show i'm halfway through the there's actually two seasons but uh, they're almost like two different shows the second season is about something a, a, a whole other place in time and different characters mm-hmm. so it's um but the this first season just called the terror is just uh, so far i'm like blown away um at uh, how good each like i i want to binge it but i find that it, when an episode is over i just i need to take some time right <laughs> like i need to like <laughs> I, it, it, and you know forget about even putting anything else on i just need to turn the tv off and be like what just happened like i need to just maybe sit quietly in the room for a while and think about the, the episode. It's funny. We, we also finished um, Hannah on uh, a se- mm. season, I think it's season four of Hannah on Amazon Prime the other night. And, you know, that's a pretty intense show. And it's definitely one of those things where, you know, we'd really like to binge it, but no, we need to take a night off and, mm. and watch something a little lighter afterwards. Yeah. Although we did end up binging the last three, uh, the three episodes. So it's, it's another, it's another good show. Um, uh, something else you said reminded me that uh, we also had uh, earlier last week finished The Great on Hulu which is a series about um, Catherine the Great of Russia. Oh, okay, yeah. But it is, in that same sense, fictionalized. And I just love the tagline. They call it an occasionally true story. So huh. they're basically cherry-picking some facts and then building a lot of, of uh, fiction around it. But it, too, was kind of fun in a, in a different way. Well, let's see. So as always, the closest thing we have to add on this show is our own blatant self-promotion. This week, uh, the article that I wrote last week, it's funny. It's one of those articles that came to me suddenly. It's one of those things where it dawned on me that a lot of people were running into one specific problem with OneDrive. And then it dawned on me exactly what that problem was. So the article is, why is my OneDrive full? It's askleo.com slash 138559. And it basically describes discusses how Microsoft created a backup function within OneDrive and confused the heck out of everybody, mm-hmm. um, including me, to the point where my official recommendation, even though I'm so pro backing up everywhere, every way, every how, is to actually not use this feature and use it, you know, do something a little different because what it does to your system is very confusing and um, actually ends up having people delete files they didn't intend to delete. So anyway, that's why is my OneDrive full on Ask Leo. I'm going to watch that simply because it's so often asked, why doesn't iCloud have a backup feature? Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, people think iCloud Drive is a backup feature. And I have to explain, I have a whole video explaining why it's not. It's a cloud mm-hmm. service. Um, but then people say, oh, but shouldn't they replace Time Machine with some sort of online like iCloud backup feature? And yeah, no. my <laughs> suspicion is, is that, you know, that's going to create some interesting, difficult, it's not as easy as you think to do that. And I'm wondering, I'm going to watch your video and I'm wondering if uh, that might give me some good, uh, yeah, some good no, information this, about Microsoft did not try to go down that path. Um, yeah. they, they didn't try to do that, but they did try to uh, back up what they consider to be a handful of important folders on your system. And in doing the way they chose to do it, had they done it a different way, it would have been just fine. Mm. But the way they chose to do it just caused way too much confusion. Uh, I'm going to go and uh, I'm going to go and take a look at that. I know a, a problem with cloud services for if you don't understand cloud services, you really don't understand them. Um, you do have you know this idea that oh, I have a file on my drive. Oh, I'm now I'm part of a cloud service. Hey, if I look over here at the cloud service, there's a copy of my file. I don't want it there. Delete. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. The file's gone. <laughs> Yeah. So it becomes dangerous. You know, yes. I'm sure the first people to use cloud services had no idea that people would actually do that. It's like, why would you do that? And it's like, and only when it became, you know, basically used by the masses, so did some people come forward. Interestingly enough, Dropbox marketed themselves as a synchronization tool first. Yeah. Right. Which means that the idea that they educated people with was the very concept that your file is here and here and here. And if you delete it here, it gets deleted from here and here and here. Uh, Not until later did we start talking about it as a cloud service because the files are also online and so forth. They implemented a backup very much 
like uh, OneDrive, what OneDrive was intending to do, but they did it a different way and their different way actually works. I didn't talk about this in the OneDrive article because I wanted to focus on OneDrive, but um, I may end up talking about the Dropbox equivalent because they did it more intelligently and certainly in a less confusing way. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Oh, and uh, let's see, for me, I've got, uh, I'll just I'll talk about uh, the video from Tuesday this week, uh, Mac OS Monterey 12.1, the first, you know, the dot one version of Monterey mm-hmm. came out and I've got a video uh, talking about the uh, new things in it because there are a few new features as well as some bug fixes. Cool. Mm-hmm. I think that pretty much wraps us up for another week. Yep. Uh, let's see the show notes as always are over at tehpodcast.com slash teh150. If you've got a comment or a question, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast, or you can just leave us a comment on that show notes page. As always, thanks for listening, and we will see you here again, I think, next week. Take care. All right. Bye.